welcome in to yet another edition of Sad Times. My name's Kevin. I'm your host. Well, we, we better start with the people who pay the bills, and that's Fuck Cigarettes. That's our sponsor. We hope uh, that as you listen to Sad Times, you're able to lean back, light a fuck, and just really exhale and, and, and feel better about everything. For those of you who have never listened to Sad Times before, Fuck Cigarettes are not real, uh, but they are our sponsor. And let me tell you a little bit about what Sad Times is. Uh, Sad Times is our podcast in which um, we have a guest on uh, every episode, and that guest talks about uh, when he or she uh, has gone through, you know, for lack of a better term, Sad Times, has dealt with um, emotions, pain, anger, uh, depression, anxiety, all of those things, the things that we all, on one way or another, we're all dealing with these emotions. Uh, and the goal of the show is not to fix the problems, you know, <clears throat> that the people come to to, to share their stories. Uh, it, it's to hear the stories so that somebody else who may be hearing this may be able to say, oh, I thought I was the only one who did X, Y, or Z, or I thought I was the only one who worried about that, or I thought I was the only one who had that experience. Oh my God, somebody else had that experience? Okay, I'm not alone. Um, and maybe, you know, that, I not maybe, I think that does a ton uh, of good. So that's kind of what the show is. And, um, you know, today's guest uh, is a gentleman by the name of uh, Joe. Joe, how the hell are you, man? I'm great. How are you? Uh, well, that's not the way that we start sad times. You're sad. No, I'm just kidding. I'm doing well, man. Oh, I'm oh, doing shit, well. Shit, yeah, sorry, fuck. Sorry. Yeah, you fuck. fucked it up yeah, already. God damn it. Um, uh, good, man. And where we're now I'm in uh, the Chicago area. Tell me where you are. I am in North Las Vegas. Ah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Mm. It, it is. It is North Las Vegas. Is that the best way to describe it? Is it's North Las Vegas? Yeah, I mean, like, uh, yeah, pretty much. Okay, it's 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 fine. How long have it's you okay. lived in the the Vegas area? Uh, Vegas area. We moved here in two thousand three. Wow, we being uh, who's we? Uh, that is, that is me and my then girlfriend, now wife, Kim. Okay, right on. Uh, yeah, um, we uh, we were in Omaha, Nebraska, and uh, we were like, "What's better than Omaha, Nebraska?" And so we better. picked literally any city. Uh huh. And we went there. Uh, you're saying that literally any city is better than Omaha, Nebraska? Uh, ju- just about to live in. It's a, it's like it's a great place for my, my in-laws still live there, and it's perfect for that. Like I go back, I see the the friends, I see the people, and then we we leave. Uh, <laughs> and it's and like we don't. We don't Go ahead. Sorry. It's it's like it's like seeing the snow while it's still white, and before it turns like gray and slushy. Ah. You're, like, you're like, oh, it's, this is pretty. This is great. And now I'm gone. That's a great way to say it, I think, um, because uh, I fucking hate snow. Uh, that's why I moved to Chicago to get away from the snow. And um, just kidding. Uh, yeah, I, I fucking don't. hate all that mud and shit. Um, one of the last times I saw you years ago, Joe, was was here in Chicago. You you and your wife were visiting, as I recall. Yes. Um, yes. Long, long, long time ago. Um, but. I've known Joe, just let everybody, let the listeners in. Uh, I've known Joe for over 18 years now. Um, Joe and I met uh, when Joe was my boss. Uh, Joe was, um, we were both on a Christmas Carol tour. Um, For those of you who don't know the story of A Christmas Carol, that's no one. So we were on a Christmas Carol tour and uh, we were on the technical side. Joe was what, well, Joe, tell us what you did on that tour. 
I was I was the technical director. I made sure that uh, the the set got loaded in, and uh, we didn't set anything on fire with sparklers. Oh, there was a, man, there was the a little sparklers. dance with the sparklers. Yes, yeah, I forgot about that. Yes. Yeah. And then the the one show that we did where the the fire marshal's like, no, 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 no. You don't need water. That water's not going to put out that sparkler. I'll tell you what will. Sand. And so we did what the fire marshal said, and then we kept putting the, the sparklers in the sand, and it kept not going out. Am I remembering that correctly? You're, you're remembering it almost completely correctly. There was, like, we, we stuck them in the sand, and they didn't go out. And then we stuck them in the sand harder, and the wire bent and shot little pieces of sparkler everywhere. <laughs> And then uh, I, I stood up and I looked over at the stage manager and the production manager and the fire marshal. And I was like, we're cutting the sparklers today. And that today, today's today's performance will not feature the sparkler dance. Yes. Well, and that's the type of power you had as a technical director. Now, uh, I was just what was called a general technician or a bed bug. Um, and. I'll go into what that means in a second, but um, I got there. So this was, um, this would have been the, the fall. Uh, I got to Omaha. I believe I, w- I took a train to Omaha on uh, Halloween and I believe we started uh, rehearsals the next day and I was nervous. You know, I'd done some professional theater before. Um, this wasn't my first professional job, but it was one of my first professional jobs when I was totally outside of uh, the collegiate realm. And so I was there. I don't know if you remember the show. I was there and uh, I'm just trying to make friends with people. I'm anxious and all this stuff. And I see Joe. Well, turns out to be Joe. I see Joe walking by and I'm like, oh, hey, man. Hey, what are you doing here? And Joe just kept walking and said nothing to me. And uh, I grew very terrified of Joe. And I was like, what did I say that was wrong? I probably shouldn't have asked him what he's doing here. But Joe, you didn't you didn't hear me, right? I, I I think we've established that I don't remember that at all, and I, I I'm pretty sure I didn't hear. You. I probably had headphones in. Yeah, uh, like knowing me, I, I probably was like pissed off that I was in the cold because that was that was literally I moved to Vegas in September of that year. Uh, yeah, so, so it was like I was almost out of the the winter, and then I made this dumbass decision that brought me right back into it. And man, it was. We we experienced all of the winter that uh, that tour. Oh, we did. We 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 found our way. We spent some time in Green Bay. We spent some time yeah. in the Upper Peninsula, of fucking Michigan. Yeah. Um. We spent some time almost having the truck go off the side of the road. But that's not why everybody's uh, no. um, logging in. Here. Logging in. Jesus fucking Christ. Tuning in. Do people tune into podcasts? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Tuning in. Uh, I like to say podcasts are like. Um, are like uh, FDR's fireside chats, but with way more mattress ads. That's kind of my thinking on it. Yeah, I think I will also drop more f bombs than FDR. Uh, well, then he did in his his fireside chats. Yeah, yeah. you don't know what I that mean, motherfucker is, was saying in the the Oval Office. Yeah. none of that he's, recording. He's not shit. Lyndon Johnson. I no, hey, nice. Yeah. Uh, quick plug for Robert Caro uh, and his Lyndon Johnson books and his book The Power Broker. Those are real, unlike fuck cigarettes. Okay. So, Joe, you are from Omaha, is that correct? Uh, yeah, I kind of kind of grew up all over the Midwest. Uh, I was born in Des Moines, uh, lived in Kansas City for a while, uh, and then Minot, North Dakota for like a year. Whoa. And then, yeah, that that was winter. 
Yeah. Uh, and then we settled into to Omaha for like from sixth grade on through the end of college. Why'd you move around so much? Uh, my dad was in uh, journalism. So really, uh, yeah, yeah. He was a, a journalist. Uh, so he worked for the Des Moines Register, Kansas City uh, Star, and then the Minot. I forgot the name of the paper in Minot, North Dakota. Uh, the Minot Times. Yeah. Uh, the Minot. We're just going to call that some healed trauma. Yeah, that. What'd you say? <laughs> we're going to call that some healed trauma. There you go. Beautiful. Yeah, that's really uh, beautiful. That's that's wonderful. So your dad was a journalist. So you know that's one uh, a hero. Uh, journalism. Where would democracy be without journalism? Um, great question. Well, I think we we almost found that out. But anyway. Um, okay. So when you were a kid, you did you have any depression? Did you have anxiety? Like what? What kind of? What was your mental health like as a kid? Um, I think, I think, okay. Uh, like, like young, young kid. I, I think I was always, I was kind of like the, the standard middle child. Uh, I've got an older brother, younger brother. And, uh, you know, I was always happy to kind of be in the background. Uh, and like that, that's been true my entire life. Kind you know, of the, the, just kind of blending in type of thing. Yeah. Kind of just, you know, Sort of off on my off on my own, kind of a little bit, uh, you know, not the center of attention. The weirdest day of my life was our our wedding, where it was like everybody is like constantly paying attention to me, and it's like this is weird, and I don't like it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I I don't uh, I, I much rather kind of yeah have have that background player thing, and then stick my head out and make a smart ass comment, and then back into the background. That is one of your specialties. You you're I, you have one of the best smart ass mouths I've ever met. I uh, I, I I was trained by a very very good journalist in how to be a smart ass. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so when you were in um, in growing up, did you ever go to the doctor for mental health stuff or anything like that? Um, I not until I was like like uh, kind of junior high age. Okay, uh, you know, so at, at that point, it kind of you know. Like I, I think sixth grade, I had evaluations for ADD, and uh, I think they kind of were like, there might be some depression in here with that. Uh, I don't. I, th I think junior high ish was when I started uh, actually taking antidepressants, and uh, I had a real brief go around with Ritalin, where uh, I, I just was not. I, I didn't like the Ritalin. Why didn't you like it? Uh, I think I, I remember telling my mom it made me feel like fuzzy, like almost like like uh, like snow on a TV, like the the old school, like oh. no signal, like. Uh, and I don't know. Uh, I, I've always been interested to think about like like is is that something that you know, as I uh, grew up and my tolerance for like altered states of mind kind of expanded. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that's the same, like if I would feel the same now, if it would be like, you know, cause that, that's probably the first time I ever had anything that kind of like really it, altered where, where my brain was. Do you remember what you said you were on an antidepressant too? Yeah. Uh, it was, it was a generic called a mipramine. I don't remember what the, uh, the, the name brand was a mipramine, huh? A mipramine. Okay. Yeah. Now I'm an, I'm an old, I'm an old, uh, 
well, I'm an old soul, but that's just because I'm old. But um, I'm an old pro is what I was trying to say at at um, antidepressants and these drugs. And I, I've never heard of that. So you were on, you were put on that in junior high. Now, did you have like really bad depression or kind of what like or was um, what? how would you describe it? So it's uh, the this kind of later on, I've been I've been diagnosed more with uh, dysthymia than actual like major depression. I mean, I think I still have a major depression diagnosis, but uh, I think it's it's not the like crushing. I can't get out of bed. I can't care for myself. Depression mm-hmm. is a, a little more like low intensity, like just kind of like the like, ah, oh, this shit again. Yeah. So I'm sorry. You said the word dysthymia. Is that correct? Dysthymia, I believe. Dysthymia. Yes. That's almost like meatloaf. Song by songs by Jim Steinman. Dysthymia. <laughs> um, okay. And that's. Uh, so I I I had heard of that before, and that's like a another way to say it for people who've never heard that word or listen to meatloaf um, is it's a persistent depressive disorder. Is that is that fair to say? It's it, but yeah. It's, so you, it's it's a persistent dis- depressive disorder. But what you're saying, it wasn't persistent to the point where you, like you could still function, you could still go about your daily whatever junior high business, whatever people did in Omaha in the the 40s or however old you are, um, that type of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. We could still go out and drink in the cornfields and throw rocks at cars. Yeah, that's that's about all there is to do in Omaha. Uh, Midwest, yeah, it baby. Was, yeah, it was always uh, so. Yeah, it was always like. Like I was never, you know, the, the can't get off the couch, can't, can't function, you know, level of, it was, it was a little more manageable on its own. So it was kind of like a little more, do I really need antidepressants or, you know, do I just need exercise? Like there, there's, you know, that, that kind of depression is kind of the stuff where, it's like, what is the best course of action a little more? Mm-hmm. So it was kind of up to me if I wanted to be on them or not. Did you did you do therapy along with the drugs or just do the drugs? Uh, I did a little bit of therapy. Uh, a lot of it was in terms of like kind of more towards social anxiety, which is kind of something that I've sort of always kind of, I, I've never been like diagnosed with a social anxiety disorder, but mm-hmm. I do kind of like, I'm, I'm, I think I'm just extremely introverted and, uh, you know, always, always, you know, like the, the group is not where I want to be. The big groups of people. I'm like, no hard pass for me. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you did a little therapy with that and did you, did you feel any sort of, um, side effects or, or, or discomfort from the imipramine, uh, that, uh, when you took it? It was it was great when I took it. Uh, if I skipped a dose, I would get like physically ill. Like, uh, yeah, really? I mean, it, it was yeah, and, like vomit. And that was yep. Oh. Yeah, so it was like a get out of the school free card, but it was like <laughs> it was it was not pleasant. <laughs> it was it was not uh, not just uh, the price is right. Were you warned about that? Like, was that like on the side of the bottle? Did the doctor say, Hey, here's a, you please take this every day or you're going to have X, Y, Z complications. No, that, that was something I found out. Uh, and I, I don't know, they kind of, I think it was kind of like not a, a standard, you know, thing where it was, I think the, the doctor was kind of like, Oh, that's a little weird. That, that doesn't usually happen. Uh, but it was, it was, 
I didn't like the idea of being dependent on something. Okay. Did you, you know? feel shame uh, about being on it? Uh, I don't remember feeling shame at that age. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, uh, later on, no. No. Uh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I've I feel zero shame about it right now. And you're yeah, and we'll so you're on you're back on. So wait, let me let let, let me not get ahead of us. Sorry. Okay. Um. So you were on. No, you. My fault. Yeah. You. When did you go off the imipramine? Uh, I think it was on that for probably a year, year and a half. Okay. Well, did uh, you I have believe. to taper it off or did you just, or did you just get really sick? Uh, I think we tapered down. Okay. Um, did you have any long standing um, effects? I asked uh, once you tapered off of it, I asked that because um, I've tried and I know many people who have struggled with a lot of antidepressants and, and these drugs and going off them can be almost as harmful as not being on them at all. So did you have any long standing effects? Did you find that um, you, you missed it or anything like that? Not really. Uh, I, I don't think so. Uh, I, I don't recall having it. I think, I think I was at the point. Uh, so I wasn't on ADD treatment mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that uh, like, like that combined with a pill you have to take every day or else you get sick uh, becomes kind of an albatross where it's, where it's like, you know, I've got this pill I have to take and this disorder that makes me bad at taking pills every day. <laughs> so it was kind of like all right now i'm not doing that anymore that's that feels good so I, I i remember being like okay i don't have to worry about that anymore okay so there's like a relief in it but there was not yeah, like a, a you didn't like find that your um your persistent depressive disorder got worse or anything like that no, no oh that's good really. that's really good um okay so you went off that about a year so you're probably 15 16 when you went off it uh yeah somewhere in there okay and you were on the ridland for much shorter time right yeah i think i think it was on the ridland for a matter of days i think i think it it really was uh real quick for the ridland did you Uh, try anything else besides ridland for the add or you're just like fuck that i don't remember trying because i I think it was again like i was never hyperactive so they they weren't uh real like hard pushing it for the for the ADD, because uh, you know the, the the kids that had ADD diagnoses in those days were the kids that were causing like damage and getting into fistfights. Which, by the way, doesn't mean they were bad kids at all. No, right? No, and I and I did cause some damage, uh, but uh, yeah, for, for sure. Like you caused was, some damage. Like what? I just I, I was always as a kid. I was always taking things apart and breaking oh. stuff and. One time I hit a glass window with a baseball bat while mm-hmm. my younger brother was on the other side of that window. Now, did you hold on? I, I have to ask yeah. this for, for everyone out there. Did you know the window was there? Uh, I did. Okay. And uh, my mom came out and she was like, a piece of glass went into my brother's <laughs> lip Oh, and, and cut his lip. Uh, not that bad. It was fine. Yeah. Uh, but uh, she was dealing with my crying, bleeding younger brother, and I told her that before the window broke, I could see it like curve. A curve? What does that mean? Like it, like like it bent. Like before it shattered. It oh, bent. so you're and trying to wait? Are you blaming the window here? No, no. no okay, I'm, I'm just. just I, I was I was just fascinated by it, and I thought my mother should know. And what was her response? I don't give a fuck. You know, I don't uh, know if your mother yeah, speaks think, that way. I think but. it was. Uh, I think there was a lot of what are you thinking. 
Uh, what were you, you know. thinking? How old were you at this time? Uh, this was in Kansas City, so it would have been less than 10, probably eight, nine. Okay, so your younger brother was real young. Yeah, yeah, he was, yeah, he would have been two years younger than me. Okay. Uh, um, wow. Uh, so, and we've kind of said it, and we'll get to it, but um, you you went off, uh, and you were off drugs through all of college, right? Um, yeah, there was a, a brief time in uh, high school where I uh, ended up on Prozac. Oh, uh, hey, yeah, I love me some Prozac. Tell me about your yeah. experience with Prozac. Uh, it, I think it was on a real low dose. I don't remember it doing a whole lot. Uh, but I mean, I, I think that's that's usually like kind of a good thing, right? Like when that's what I am always looking for. Yeah, like it, it's it's almost like you're like I just kind of feel a little better, you know. Uh, yeah, so I did. I didn't have any side effects on it, uh, and I think I was just kind of on it for like some of my senior year. And it was for the same thing for depression. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've been on Prozac for mm, eight, eight and a half years, maybe. Uh, okay. And uh, to quote you and I, one of our favorite people, Bill Hicks, I'm on a, uh, a heroic dose of, I just am on a lot of Prozac. There you go. Uh, but what I like about Prozac, one, it helps. Uh, and two, it doesn't change who I am really. Yeah. Um, and it really, I didn't know this beforehand, but it is something that is effective in helping treat OCD, which is what I have. Um, okay. so you were on that briefly. Um, and then you just kind of were like, yeah, I don't think I need this. Yeah. Kind of, kind of in and out again, you know, uh, a little bit. I, and like, I do remember like, like for, as far as the, the stigma of it, I, I thought it was like, cool. I was like, Hey, oh, I'm really? Prozac. Yeah. Like I, I had no like I, I, I thought it was kind of like funny and like had had no like qualms with being on it. Did you did you, you tell know? people? I, remember, I I told like all my friends. I don't think I was like telling people I didn't know. Right, you didn't have a sign <laughs> but, uh, on your locker that said yeah. Prozac taker. Yeah, yeah, but no. uh, yeah. I mean, like uh, I think all my friends. Yeah, like I. I I think that was kind of the point at which I had developed the, you know, like if you're going to judge me for this, like you can judge me for it and go do your thing. I don't, I don't need you around, you know, kind of, kind of mentality. And that's, that's where I've held that for a long time. Like if you're going to judge someone for things like this, like good luck to you. I don't need you around. Yeah, that's, that's fair. It's, it's a very, um, I, I, well, that's a different show, I guess, but I, I would just say that it, yeah, um, there's just, it's fascinating why people would even do that, but different show. Yeah. Um, okay. So you, w- you have gotten back on meds when, what got yes. you, when, when did you get back on them? Uh, so the, the return to meds was, uh, when, uh, so my father had, uh, his, his second and third bouts with major cancer. And I uh, was in treatment for lymphoma, and that's when I, I started uh, back on the. Uh, actually, this time it was Celexa. Okay. Uh, so he he had an earlier uh, colon cancer when I was in college, but that was a pretty simple surgery that uh, you know wasn't uh, the deep kind of treatment that uh, that the other two were. And then when uh, when he started on that, I really started to you know 
get that deep sense of overwhelm and that, you know, that is always kind of indicative of like, it's time to start kind of seeing somebody for me. Okay. You know, like, uh, there's, I, I get this like sense of overwhelm that like just little things become too much for me to handle. And how long, how long do you kind of deal with that? That's, I, I like the way you describe it, sense of overwhelm. How long do you deal with that before you start to take action? Um, uh, so I, I think I probably, I probably dealt with this for three, four weeks before I took action. And now, you know, yeah, so I, I think in that, that time, you know, not, not real long, but, uh, you know, it was, uh, long enough that it was like, all right, I need, I need to, this isn't something that's just a bad day or a bad couple days. Right. You know, this is, this is something more invasive going on. Okay. So, um, you, you said that your dad had had colon cancer when you were in college, but it was, they were able to treat it pretty easily. Uh, I don't know if easily is the right way, but, um, they were able to take care of that at the time. But then yeah. you said he had a, a second and third, more major, uh, I believe you said major bout with cancer. Uh, yeah. How old were you? And it was during those that you, you started um, taking meds again. How old were you when that happened? Uh, that was 2016. So I'd have been 36. Okay. Uh, uh, and uh, yeah, probably 35 at the time. Uh, so no, it was 2014. Yeah. He was diagnosed in 2014 uh, for the lymphoma. Okay. And uh so the lymphoma was like it we they found it. Uh we had just been on a Alaskan cruise. We had just been to the World Series and kind of between the World Series and Thanksgiving, they oh. they found this he, he got a, a backache and thought it was kidney stones. Like he had a had like a really terrible like and uh, went in and said, you know, I think I have kidney stones. They did a scan, and they said, oh, you've got a lot of cancer. And uh, when they when they when they did the sorry to interrupt you when they did the colon cancer treatment, they kind of thought, okay, uh, it was local, it was uh, in the colon, and yeah. they got it out, and they felt like, okay, he's cancer free, right? Yeah, yeah, it was inside a, a polyp, like so he had a polyp that was cancerous, but uh, the cancer was contained completely within the polyp. Okay. Uh, so they removed a section of colon, and uh, it was a, a surgery. It was a big surgery, but it wasn't, you know, I, I think it was down for a couple of weeks. And, you know, that, that is, and so that, that wasn't, you know, there, there was a lot of dealing with his mortality and, you know, kind of uh, st- stuff like that, but it wasn't the, the scare that the second round was. Okay. And you said, you know, um, thinking he had kidney stones and the scan showed he had uh, tumors and, and cancer. Where did they, where, where was it? I mean, was it in the kidneys or? Uh, it was lymphoma. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of, it, it's a blood mm-hmm. cancer that it was kind of everywhere. There was a lot of it around the pancreas, uh, which was, you know, that that's scary. That's the, you know, that's the bad one. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of like, I remember Thanksgiving we knew, you know, that this was happening. We knew, you know, I, I don't think we knew for sure that it was cancer, but they were like, there's, there's nothing else this could be. Like we haven't done the test to confirm it yet, but it's, it's going to be cancer. 
And, and uh, okay, so Thanksgiving 2014. Sorry, go ahead. And then uh, I think I think at that point we were worried about pancreatic cancer was the the real concern. Okay, I want to go back. You said uh, you went to the World Series. Yeah. Um, tell me about that. What? Uh, I mean, I think most people would love to go to the World Series, but why did you guys go? So uh, we moved. I, t- I said we were in Kansas City. We moved to Kansas City in 1985, and. Uh, Oh. Kansas City, 1985 is yep. uh, like that. That was a good baseball team. Yeah. Uh, my dad immediately got a share of. Uh, he's a huge baseball fan all his life, uh, but a Yankee fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he immediately got a share of season tickets. Uh, you know, I, I think either the someone who left had to sell their share, or there were a group of people who wanted to sell a share or something. So we got like a quarter of a season ticket package. And uh, then the Royals ended up winning the world series in 1985. Yeah, beat those motherfucking Cardinals. It was great. Uh, And the objectively, the, the Don Dickledger call is not, (laughs) not that big a deal. Well, uh, for anybody who's listening there, it's in game one. um, He called somebody out who, or safe, sorry, safe. Who was very clearly out? Is that right? Uh, yeah, I think I think it was game six. No, game five. I think they. they oh, it was later in the series. Six. Okay. Yeah, and uh, the the Cardinals were up a run, but he, he he ends up he doesn't score. It's not like he like it's it's not like that caused a run. It's not the the Cardinals fell apart afterwards, uh, which I think we can all agree is hilarious uh we can at and, least uh, me and you can i think it's fucking hilarious it's excellent uh and then they, they lost the next game anyway so it's you know yeah and and just grapes. to clarify um um i've never been a royals fan i've always and forever and forever will be a cubs fan which is why i have a podcast called sad times um, fair enough Okay, so wow, you guys moved there in '85. Uh, so that's like that's like the George Brett. Brett was Brett Saberhagen around then. Hal McRae. Uh, Brett Saberhagen was uh yeah he was a I think the rookie of the year that year. Uh, so uh, it it was just uh just before Bo Jackson, but Frank White, Willie Wilson, all the all the you know kind of Royals greats that uh, were the last real effective baseball team oh you're telling me that after 1985 kansas city wasn't great every year since kansas city saw a lot of uh, (laughs) a lot of hard seasons but uh as part of his share of the tickets he got tickets to game two of the world series and uh okay so so he he had a choice to make between taking my mother or one of the three kids i'm sorry is this the 1985 world series this is the 85 World okay thank you uh so he he looked at my younger brother who would have been probably three at the time, and he's like, "You're not making memories yet, so you you can <laughs> you you can stay home." And he looked at me, and, I was, and he was like, "Yeah, your your older brother's more into it." Mm-hmm. So it really came down to my older brother Mike and my mom getting this these tickets, and uh, he chose my mother, and he told Mike, "You know, next time the Royals in the World Series." We'll go. 
And then the next, then 30 years later. Yeah, 2014 uh, was the next time they were in the World yeah. Series, right? Yeah, 20, 29 years later, yes. Uh, we got tickets to Game 2 of the World Series against the, uh, against the Giants. And um, when you say we, who is that like you and your brothers and your dad and your mom, or who went? Yeah, uh, just uh, everybody but my mom. My my dad got tickets for all of us because, uh, but uh, he he definitely had to pay off the uh, the promise to my older brother, and then he was like, "You guys are old enough now." <laughs> you know, my young, <laughs> my younger brother was thirty one, so he's like, "Yeah, he made can, a few memories go. by then. You can go now, yeah, yeah." You'll, um, uh, okay, so that's amazing. Okay, so um, you know, this isn't. Uh, the case maybe with every family, but I can relate to that very much because my grandmother and I, I mean, we shared baseball and the Cubs and, um, it's just such a wonderful story to hear that your dad said, if they, when they make it again, Mike, Mike being your older brother, I'll I'll take you. Right. And then he did exactly that. And then was able to take you and your younger brother. And how do you feel about having had that just before all this other shit started happening? Um, it's, it's really appropriate. Like it, it, it is, uh, you know, uh, there, there's certainly, uh, like it, those, those amazing memories, like, cause we, we hold those memories from, you know, the season tickets. Like that was the time we spent alone with our father. Yeah. You know, uh, it, we, we did lots of family trips and things like that, but, uh, like, you know, for a family with three boys who have asthma and all that stuff, the, the, the times that we spent alone with our dad were baseball games or going to the hospital. So, so the baseball games were really like the, the highlight of like, you know, this is time where he teaches us about the infield fly rule and mm-hmm. to, to watch the outfielders when there's a pop up to left, cause they all look like home runs and, if you were a fan of the Royals from 1987 to 1990, they they were not all home runs. <laughs> Maybe they never were. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, Bo Bo hit a couple. Oh, that's right. Of course, Bo. Well, Bo knows home runs. Yeah. Um, he, he also struck out. Yes. Well, can't win them all. He right. did it. Um, so. I just love what you just said about the infield fly rule and that you got to watch the left fielder. And, um, I don't have any children cause whew, uh, I would be a terrible father, but, uh, the, I've always, when I was a kid, I was like, Oh, if I have a son, I'm going to take him to a baseball game. And so to hear mm-hmm. you relay that and like, it, it really warms my heart. So that's, that's really great. Um, so he, he was, the scan happened around, uh, you said Thanksgiving of 2014. So what, what were the next steps? Like, did he go right into treatment? Yes. So, uh, it turned out he had mantle cell lymphoma, uh, which was kind of an aggressive form of lymphoma. Uh, and he, he was like, he had a lot of it. It was, you know, there, his oncologist kind of, kind of said, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of time, you know, that this, this treatment was effective, but it was a hell of a treatment. It kills about 20% of the uh, people who take the treatment at the time, I think. Wow. And uh, so he had this monster treatment. It was, you know, impatient and, you know, like they were so aggressive with it that they had to monitor him for kidney failure because the kidneys were filtering out so much 
so many dead cells and so much toxins and uh, all kinds of stuff. So it was monster treatment. Uh, and he got out uh, the, from the first treatment, he got out on Christmas day. Uh, oh, okay. So I was, I was down there in Baton Rouge for him coming home the first time from, from this treatment. And like, he was, he was still working as much as possible. You know, like the, he, he was a, a professor at LSU uh, at this time. Uh, in the journalism department and you know he would he would try and get people to cover his classes but still like show up to some of them and like kind of sit in the back and feel not great but still like just kind of incredibly stubborn incredibly like never never took the time that he needed to you know rest yeah yeah like he just he just kept going and this is so he he was like back to work as soon as possible after he had this super aggressive treatment. Yeah, and and it was you know like he would have he had like several different rounds of it. You know they would they would kind of bombard him and let him recover, then bombard him and let him recover, and you know so uh, he really like and he just he just didn't stop. He he would keep going and keep going and keep going. Did did anybody try to say, uh, "Hey, man, maybe let's rest"? And everybody, everybody did. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. He, he just he just didn't stop. There was a, a point at which uh, he was on uh, he was on the chemo, and the chemo prevented blood clotting, and he got a brain bleed, and so like gradually his left hand started losing strength. Jesus. And uh, wait, sorry. Was when day. was this? When when did this, the brain brain bleed uh, occur? This was, I think, August of 2016. I think this was towards the end of the actual uh, treatment for the lymphoma. 2016, 2015. Uh, I think 2015. I think it's probably 2015. Okay, 2015. All right. Okay, yeah, so uh, he he notices first in his hand that his hand is not working correctly. Yeah, like uh, he was uh, so a bunch of his uh, his work in. Journalism was a uh, in the the digital journalism, and so it was like kind of a uh, he had a a lot of like uh, Twitter interaction and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was like, my uh, my hands aren't like I'm not tweeting as well as I could be with th- this left hand. Mm-hmm. And like that was the first thing he noticed is that when he was tweeting, his left hand was kind of like having more typos than normal. And then it gradually lost more and more strength. And then, uh, my mother was out of town and, uh, he woke up and it was like, he couldn't button his pants. Uh, and the, the solution that he came up with was like, I'm seeing the doctor today. Anyway, I'll bring it up with him, but I'm going to go to Walmart and get pants that I don't have to button. Then I'll go into work. Wow. (laughs) And, and, then he went into the doctor and they said, Oh, okay, you need to go to the hospital now. And did he have pain in his head? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. I don't, and so, yeah, uh, and, and I've always wondered like if, if he thought like, you know, the, the cancer spread to my brain and this might be my last chance to go into work. Or if he's just like that, that's just, what he did was was like like a Terminator robot of journalism, just just, just going straight forward and 
Have Walking. you seen this boy? <laughs> if not, I'm going to write a story about it. Um, okay, so, and you said your mom was out of town, so he yeah. he's there alone. Yeah, yeah, so, uh, and, like, she gets a phone call that's like, hey, uh, they're taking me to the hospital, and I'm going to have brain surgery tomorrow. And, <laughs> and so... Uh, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think that was the call. I think it was like I'm going to the hospital, and then they, they found they figured out that it was a a brain bleed, mm-hmm. and uh, so I think it was two separate phone calls because uh, I was at work and I, I worked late that day, and it was probably like ten o'clock in Vegas, and I was getting phone call updates and like booking flights out that that night. And Louisiana, uh, Louisiana, you're three hours ahead, right? In Vegas, uh, or are they central or eastern time? I think it's central, but I'm not. Well, certain. that is God's time zone. It is. That's what I say. Uh, so you're at least two hours behind. So it's if yeah. it's 10 p.m. where you are, and you work. What do you do, or what did you do uh, at the time? I at the time I was the, the head of lighting at Mandalay Bay Arena. Uh, so so I was just probably working a show uh, that I didn't have a whole lot to do with. I think that I think it was a a show that kind of brought their own production team in and had a, because I was able to just about walk out the door, I think. Okay. Uh, and like my coworkers kind of were like, yeah, do what you got to do. And I think I, I think I jumped on a flight that night to Baton Rouge. Yeah. Uh, for anybody who's not, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Familiar with Las Vegas. Uh, the, the airport is like right fucking by the strip too. Yeah. It's like right there. I wonder why. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's one thing they've planned correctly. <laughs> <laughs> on the next episode of Sad Times, Joe tells us his real thoughts on Las Vegas. Uh, so you hop we discuss off city planning, city planning, which once again, Robert Caro's book, The Power Broker, about Robert Moses, will change your life. Okay, so you hop on a flight late that night. Your mom is, as you said, out of town, so you're going to be there with your dad, right? Yeah. Uh, so she was. She flew back that day as well so uh like i was got it booking tickets and talking to her she was in the dallas airport at one point you know like walking between flights holding it together and like you know getting back and so we we got back uh i I think i got in really yeah i must have jumped on a flight that night and got in like really early in uh Mm -hmm. into baton rouge so when you were talking to your mom you said she was Holding it together, but obviously yeah. a struggle. How did that make, how, how were you feeling at that time? Did you feel helpless or how, how did you feel knowing that, you know, your mom's not there, you're not there, your dad's dealing with this very serious condition? Like what, what was going through your head? Um, I was, I was, uh, I, I felt like I was the one that could get there the easiest, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I had coworkers that were like, there was no question. They were like, go. Well, well, we got your back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was like, I was able to just kind of drop everything and go. Uh, it was uh, a pretty helpless feeling until we got kind of like the, the word that it was like, okay, this is a, a brain bleed. He's going to have surgery at this time. The, you know, it's, it's not as dire as it could be. You know, it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't good, but it wasn't, you know, uh, anything that was like like that. This is a fairly routine brain procedure. 
Was there a re- of- was there a relief in at least knowing what it was, even if it was obviously brain bleed is bad, but knowing what it was, was there a relief in at least knowing as opposed to being like, why isn't his hand working? What is going on? Yeah, always. There's always, yeah, every step of the way uh, I, I've had, I felt like the not knowing is worse than having, you know, a, a good idea of what's going on and how how it breaks down and knowing like, oh, okay, like now we're doing this treatment and this is the, like, these are the possible outcomes. And so what, uh, other than the surgery, was there any other treatment for, for uh, the brain bleed or was he still under cancer treatment at the time? Uh, he was still, yeah, he was still under cancer treatment at the time. Uh, I remember like one of the first doctors we saw was his, uh, his oncologist was there. His, his oncologist was amazing. Uh, the, the brain surgeon was uh, a good brain surgeon, but kind of a dick. <laughs> and, and uh i ended up like pulling him aside and being like hey uh don't be a dick to them like like my my at points like my mom and dad were like nervous and scared and like frustrated with he didn't like, have any bedside manner uh, yeah, yeah he had yeah. no bedside manner and i was yeah. like, like if you need to be a dick to somebody be a dick to me but uh yeah the, the two of them get to be you know they're off limits. Yeah, I have a lot. I I do have some things in common. I'm a bad brain surgeon, but I'm a <laughs> dick. So I got one out of two things in common with that brain surgeon. Is, uh, is it that, the same hey, as a good brain surgeon? Uh, I'm sorry. Does it pay the same as a good brain surgeon? Uh, it does not. Oh. Uh, but don't worry, okay. I get that sweet sweet ad money from Sad Times. Okay. Uh, for everybody, uh, and that yeah. comes from fuck cigarettes. Fuck cigarettes. Hey, man, now you spread the word, Joe. Hey, and I have to give you a bunch of credit. You're going through all of that shit, and you're selfless enough to say, "Hey, man, I'm not trying to tell you how to do brain surgery, um, but could you just be nice to them? Just be nice to them. That if you're yeah, going to be a dick, yeah, be a I dick mean, to me." Like, I felt like I, I felt like that was something I could do, where it was like. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can, I can, this guy's just an egomaniac. I can handle this. You know, and I, I kind of said, you know, like, and he, he kind of said, so the, the thing was he, he missed like an entire day. He had a, a, a dental emergency and had to go in and like get a tooth root canal or something. Sorry, this is the brain surgeon? Or- yeah. Okay. Go. Yeah. And so this is the day after the brain surgery where we're all just like, you know, kind of cooped up my younger brother has flown in by now and it's kind of like there's just sort of we're just sort of sitting there waiting all day and eventually his one of his students comes in and uh you know it kind of got a a little bit of a like hey what the fuck is going on why am i why are we waiting here all day what's going on mm-hmm. and then he comes in and kind of like half-ass apologizes and you know sort of gives a little lip back and that's when I'm like, "Hey, come talk to me over here. Let's <laughs> let's uh let's let's discuss this." And he was like, I, "I apologized." And I was like, "You can do a better apology than that. You can you can come up with a better apology. You know, like this this you know they're just scared. Understand that this has been a really like crazy week for us. You know, and yeah. kind of just explained. You know, like my mother was out of town. She flew back in for this. Like." we are not in a place to give a lot of, you know, 
grace right now. So understand that. And if you need, if you need to be an asshole to somebody, that's me. That's, that's what I'm here for. And that's why Joe and I have always gotten along. Yeah. So, so he has the surgery. Uh, he, he recovers from the brain bleed. Is that, is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Uh, almost immediately. Like the, when they, uh, uh, took him out of anesthesia, like his, his hand was, uh, already showing strength improvement and everything. Yeah. And he was, he was tweeting in no time. <laughs> and that's what's important here. Yep. Being able to tweet. Um, okay. So that was in August of 2015. Um, then what? November of 2015, yep. uh, Royals won the World Series. Yep. Uh, no, they went in 2015 or 2014? Uh, 2015. Yeah, Didn't 2014. They? Okay. 2014, oh, they, they lost to the Giants yeah. uh, with Alex Gordon. Oh, right. Third they were there for two years in a row. Okay, I got yeah. you. Got you. Yeah. 2016, okay. they won. So 2015, they win. 2015, they won. Yeah. yeah I'll, I'll tell you who won in 2016 if you yeah. are curious. It's the Chicago Cubs. Um. But ben 20, so, yes, from the Royals. So yeah. twenty fifteen, he was the our World Series MVP. So twenty fifteen, he has had this brain bleed, and then the Royals win the World Series. What did what was that <laughs> like? Uh, that was that was really good. Uh, like that that was another spot where like you know so so quickly when you're in cancer treatment you lose your identity to like the treatment you become a patient to everyone you know and like the only questions are about how are you doing? How's the cancer? How's your T cell counts? What, what's your white blood cell look like? And, uh, throughout that run, you know, my brothers and I would, and he would all be texting, you know, we all, we'd all watch the games and, you know, I've got a job with a weird schedule that works a lot of nights. So I'm able to watch a lot of day games and, you know, my older brother's got a TV in his office and he's watching the games in the background. And so very, very quickly we became just, you know, kids texting their dad about baseball. And it gave us, you know, kind of a connection that wasn't based in the cancer. You know, it gave yeah. us a way to, to be kids with their dad again and not, not just, you know, concerned children with their cancer patient father. Yeah, and I think it's it's so well said that um, you know for for people who are ill with cancer or or any sort of struggle yeah. health struggle they become a part of their person not personality their identity almost becomes either the treatment for it and and I think that's really well said um, and I think that you know people when they do ask them how are you doing all this stuff they of course mean no harm they 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 care about them and all that stuff but it must have been a relief for your dad, a lifelong baseball fan and his three boys. And, you know, to be able to watch his team and talk to his kids about, you know, his team team winning the world series. Well, his team was the Yankees. So we don't talk about that. So uh, he just, but, <laughs> well, okay. So he still so yeah, liked yeah, the just, Yankees. That was, Oh, he, his team was always the Yankees. If, if the Yankees were playing the Royals, he was rooting for the Yankees. God, oh, thank but, you for the clarification. Yeah. We 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 never participated in the Yankees win because they're the Yankees. <laughs> so and got, plus, they weren't to, playing them in the World Series. No, no, Yankees were bad then. Uh, but it, it was. I think he. I think he really enjoyed the 
that and and having the you know be, being able to be a part of that and see that uh because yeah and I, I think he also i've always thought that he was kind of proud of us for being stubborn and never liking the yankees <laughs> uh i always i always think there's kind of a, a part of him that was like yeah those are my kids all right yep that's a yeah that's you fair. had your team and just like he had his team well and like there was a point at which in in uh our youth my younger brother named his stuffed animals after baseball players and uh <laughs> like his his cherished childhood bear is roger maris bear oh my and, god uh, and that's so cute <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but I think it was really just a ploy to get more, to get more stuffed animals because my dad was like, "There's so many great Yankees." <laughs> yeah, and you then, know, you can name this little, one Yogi Berra. <laughs> there was, and like gradually, they all started to like the the Yankees names fell off and the Royals names took over, and it was, it was George and Willie and Frank. That's that's awesome. Um, okay, so what's what's the next step in your dad's um, the cancer journey? So that was that was you know end of twenty fifteen fall classic. Yeah, Royals won. What what came next? Uh, then uh, so let's see that that would have been uh, October of twenty fifteen. My younger brother also got married, uh, so that that was a big deal. Like a a big thing for him was uh, being able to dance at my my brother Tom's wedding. And uh, he did it, you know, like that, that's, you know, um, like, I, I think that was the kind of thing where it's like, he, he just kind of was like, I'm doing this and set his mind to it. And there was no stopping him. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that, that was very cool and very, uh, very nice. And then uh, he was uh cancer free until uh july of 2016 okay uh, wow okay what happened then uh then uh something he had problems with his pancreas and uh they weren't sure if it was scar tissue from the the previous cancer uh or or what it was they they caught it so early that it was uh they weren't sure exactly what was happening and like his oncologist would take it to like meetings and stuff and be like, what is this? What needs to happen? Mm -hmm. And, uh, people would say like, Oh, I think it's scar tissue. He needs a whipple, which is where they just kind of cut your pancreas and all the ducts apart and then sort of shove it back together and hope it works. Uh, it's, it's like one of the worst surgeries. Uh, Jesus. Oh yeah. It's a, it's, whipple? it's a whipple. Yeah. Not whiffle ball. No. Okay. No. Whip with two P's, like whip hole. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've never heard of that. I'm learning all sorts of shit. It's a, yeah, it's, they, they talk about it in Grey's Anatomy a lot when you. That's probably why you know, I don't know about it. Yeah. You'll, you'll discover it when you're like, oh, hey, that's that thing that they. At least I, uh, I didn't realize that the first two times I watched the entirety of Grey's Anatomy, which I think is still on television. All right. Uh, okay. So pancreatic cancer. And you had mentioned before in 2014 when he thought he had kidney stones. You thought that you were very worried about the, the cancer and the scan being around his pancreas. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the, eventually they were like, this is pancreatic cancer. And, uh, we, they, they wonder because they hit him with so much stuff. They wonder if it was kind of there the whole time. 
and they had sort of beaten it back some and it was he had pancreatic cancer and uh the lymphoma at the same time jesus and um I'm going to speak a bit extemporaneously here. I'm no expert, but you mentioned it earlier. Pancreatic cancer is is one of the more serious forms of cancer, correct? Yes, yes. Uh, so there's there's kind of two forms of pancreatic cancer. Uh, the the more rare one is the more survivable one. Uh, so how nice there there are yeah uh, there are treatments that you know can can kind of it, it becomes a cancer you can live with in a lot of cases. Uh, okay. The, the more common garden variety one is very bad. Uh, and and that's, especially that, that's what he had. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. And especially after having had these massive treatments, you know, yeah. Uh, fairly recently, his immune system just wasn't up to taking a whole bunch more uh, treatment. So uh, it was like, we can give you some treatment, but it it's, you know, a third of what we would normally do or whatever it was, you know, like, so it just wasn't the same kind of ability to treat. And so at that point, did they give some sort of timeline? Um, did, did he have an idea maybe that, oh, you know, uh, there might be, I can... Uh, sorry, I might have X or Y or, you know, that type of thing. Was that, was that in the discussion? Um, I don't remember having like discussions about the, the timeline. Uh, I know uh, he was not uh, really interested in doing the Whipple. Uh, you know, I, I think he, we, we went to a Royals game that summer and he kind of mm-hmm. said, you know, if, if this is something that requires the Whipple, I don't think I'm going to do it. Okay. You know, I, I think uh, I, I don't. I don't want to do a big giant surgery after just having done this treatment. So I, mean, I, I think he was definitely accepting of the circumstances and you know aware of it. And then when it was the pancreatic, it was uh, you know the 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 discussions always started like we're going to treat it, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, but you know, we can't treat as aggressively as we would want to. And then, uh, by that Thanksgiving, the Thanksgiving of 2016, uh, he had stopped treatment. Okay. Um, uh, I don't know if that's because Donald Trump won the election or not. No, that's, but <laughs> I do blame that for most things. Um, I, do, I, I do know he was able to kind of let go of that and be like, you know what? This is your problem more than it's mine. <laughs> you know what? Fuck it. Uh, you got. You'll figure it out. I don't know. You guys are Royals fans. Um, yeah. So <laughs> you're used to disappointment. Uh, when did your father pass away? Uh, February of 20, 2017. February nineteenth. February nineteenth, twenty seventeen. Well, obvious. Very sorry about your loss. Thank you. Um, and and very. Uh, and admirable that you're on here and, and, and talking about this journey, which is unfortunately a journey that most everyone has to go through one form or another. Yeah. So um, when you, when you, when he passed away, um, what, what, um, what was the kind of like, how, how did people 
try to comfort you. I remember that you let me know and I just blocked you. Uh, and we didn't talk for like three years because yeah. that's, I don't deal with emotions well. Um, I'm not apologizing about that. That's just how I am. No, I'm just kidding. But like, how, how, how do people, how did people kind of approach that with you? You were saying earlier, like, you know, when, when you are sick, it's almost that your, 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 um, identity is the sickness. So how, how did people approach you about that? It's, it's always interesting. Like there, there's kind of like good friends who kind of, kind of don't address it. Uh-huh. And, you know, I, I certainly have been that guy that's like, I don't know what to say. I don't have any like insight in this. Right. You know, uh, so that that's always interesting. Uh, and then there, there's people who like sent me like a message on Facebook that were just like, fuck man. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I feel like that's, that's always like, I mean, people who know me know that that's a good, like, like, just like, what the fuck? That sucks. It's like, okay, yeah, I gotcha. That's, it does. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm there. Uh, and I mean, there were, there were people, I had, I had a, a good friend of mine and a client who called me almost immediately. And he's, he's one of the nicest guys on the planet. And really, like, I, I don't remember a bit of what we said, but uh, I'll always remember that he called me, you know, and, you know, that that's, so I mean, there's there's kind of like it's more that you do something than than nothing. But uh, I mean, there are there's always things that are like kind of kind of get you a little bit where it's like you know everything happens for a reason, and it's like mm. that that always is like fucking not now, man. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> give me give me a minute with that shit. If, right. Um, and that's why I gave you the three years before I told yeah. you everything. No, I'm I mean, just kidding. So, but yeah. And I think that that is born out of people trying to say the right thing. I have to assume. Yeah. And that, you know, again, they're not trying to harm or anything, but I, I hear what you're saying. Like if, if I went through that type of grief that you're, you're describing and then, Oh, everything happens for a reason. Oh, I, I'm such a smart ass. I'd be like, Oh, okay. Well, okay. Explain to me the reason that X, Y, and Z just fucking happened. Right. Um, And I I think that's probably, again, nobody's fault, but I think that's probably a more universal situation and feeling that people have than maybe are willing to admit because it's such a uh, overwrought, difficult, horrible time. And, you know, there's there's also like uh, everybody will ask if there's anything I can do. And like that, that is something that kind of in like those communities, it's like, it's it's a it's a kind thing to say. It's a kind thing to to offer, but it's also like, you know, kind of putting the work onto someone else and being like, you know, hey. So, it, but it is like uh, that's one of my pieces of advice for anyone going through this is to have something for people to do. Mine was go donate blood. It's like, oh, yeah. Wow. If if someone's like, if someone's really willing to go do something, like go donate blood that will actually help people with cancer in your area. Like, and that's something we can all feel good about, you know, like that's, that's something that, you know, if, if this situation has led to, you know, you helping someone you don't know, like that, that's a great thing. That's a, so that that's always, that's a piece of advice that I always have is like those, those well-intended people who are kind of, 
saying something that some people view as kind of irritating where it's like, let me know if I can help. And it's kind of a, a little bit of a platitude. And it's like, you know what? Yeah. Donate blood. That's a way you can help. My dad used so much plate, so many things of platelets and whole blood and mm-hmm. white blood cells and all that, that, uh, you know, it's, that's going to help someone. Uh, and, you know, so if, if someone's willing to really do that and help, I think that's a, a great way to like, like have something like that where it's like, you can, you know, yeah. Or, or you can also phrase it differently where it's like, <laughs> if there's ever a time where you just can't cook for yourself, if you could just get to a point, let me know and I'll order you some Postmates. You know, something like that where it's like, if you ever get to a point where it's like, fuck it, I can't fucking do this. Yeah. You know, like that, that is kind of a different setup where it's like, okay, you know, this person's got my back for this, you know? Yeah. So uh, I I think that's, those are both great suggestions. Although Postmates, come on, man. Is that not a thing anymore? I, I fuck if I know. What do you think? I'm paying those delivery fees. God damn it! I'll block you again, Joe. Uh, okay, I didn't mean it. Okay, still, I won't. Still gonna send you dick pics. <laughs> they still somehow get through. Um, so, last thing about this, and then I want to ask you about one other part of your life. But um, tell me about this is a big question, right? But right. tell me about the, gr- you know, grief is something that we all deal with. And I'm coming to the conclusion, like Emily Dickinson said, hope is the thing with feathers. Well, grief is the thing with talons. It just rips and tears at anything near it. So tell yeah. us about how you dealt with, with, with your grief and, or, or just losing your dad. Like, w- where was your head at at the time? Um, so I, I think by the time he actually died, like my head was in like as good a place as somebody can be when their their father's dying. Like he really, really uh, did a great job of dying. <laughs> like it, it, what does it that mean? So what is that? Say. I know that it does sound weird, but like uh, it, coming from a theater background, I'm like, did he really do a nice Tybalt death or something? And Romeo <laughs> and Juliet, no, like, what does that mean? He did a nice job of dying. What do you mean by that? Uh, he, he left. I don't think he left anything unsaid, you know, uh, I think about the time where he maybe maybe earlier than the time that they stopped uh uh treatment. He started writing us letters and so we got emails from him like every other day, just like telling us stories from his life and detailing things he thought about or lists of national parks he went to, like just just all kinds of stuff uh that and then uh you know, like he he was very, very, uh, like not even willing. He needed to make sure people who he cared about knew that he cared about them. You know, mm-hmm. when there, there was a point at which he kind of stopped writing us letters and started writing letters to colleagues. So they all knew how, like what he meant to them. And they all like, he just really, really said everything that needed to be said. And we all knew that he was, you know, comfortable with dying. He he had this kind of peace about it that really was, you know, something that I didn't know was an option, you know, until, until I saw it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
you know, it was just like, so that the, by the time he actually died, it was, it was genuinely, you know, he, he was no longer suffering. You know, it, it was, there was kind of a, uh, a piece to it where it was really like, okay, that's, you know, we, we knew this was going to happen mm-hmm. and then, it, and then it happened. And now it's, but we, we also knew how okay he was and how, you know, realistically he viewed it and like almost embraced it. Yeah. Like that, that, that that sounds like, like I, I think of like embracing death in a real, like kind of metal way. Fuck. Yeah, man. But, uh, <laughs> but it, it was a uh, much more like calm, you know, uh, and, and just kind of like really, really, like he he wasn't afraid he wasn't you know regretful of anything he you know had a really good perspective on the life he lived and you know i, I think it was you know something to kind of aspire to almost like i was live about a good to life and, yeah mhm it, yeah, it, it was it's so admirable it's it, everything that you're saying is, is so admirable and it, it's, it's, um, I know that I'll just be running and screaming and be like, no, um, but the, everything that you just described, um, yeah, I think you said yeah. irritatingly perfect as I talked yeah. over you. <laughs> okay. That's yeah, uh, a, that's kind of like, it's like, great. Now I've got to die like this or else I'm going to look like an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Oh shit. Um, well, Hey, listen, um, I, I do want to make sure this is what I'm known for are my transitions. So from this horrible grief, I do want to make sure that we touch on one other thing. Um, and thank you again for telling, telling us the story. And, and, uh, I think it's just kudos to your dad for, for, um, doing everything that, that he did. And again, for being a hero and a journalist and then for just sounds like being a great guy and a great dad and a great husband. So, you know, most of the time, most of the, yeah, yeah, that's what Bob Dylan says, you know, <laughs> most of the time. Yeah. Um, so you had mentioned earlier, you lived, you've lived in Vegas for like 18 years or something. Something like that. Yeah. And you've always been in the entertainment industry, right? Yes. Um, that's weird. I didn't know they had shows in Vegas. Yeah. Um, so uh, then that leads me to ask you a question. Um, does your wife also work in the entertainment business? Uh, so she did uh, up until COVID. Uh, that's what I wanted to ask you about. I want to know <laughs> what it was like. Now, I used to do theater at Duh. That's how we met, et cetera, et cetera. But tell me just a little bit about how you, what that did to you um, when that you know, it's, it became a national emergency. Everything started to shut down and, and and tell us a little bit about that and like what that meant for you and your, and your wife, but you know, speaking for yourself, your mental health, because you were losing your livelihood. Um, it was, it was wild. Uh, I, I, like everybody else, I've never seen anything like it. Uh, there was, there was one day, it was the day that, uh, it was officially declared a pandemic. And, uh, I went into work, at an expo center, uh, the Las Vegas convention center and walked in and somebody said, today is going to be a rough day. 
because it's officially a pandemic. And now legally with a contracts, a lot of people can cancel without financial repercussion. And, you know, that was the day that they canceled the NCAA March Madness tournament. Mm -hmm. They canceled, I think the rest of the basketball season. And, uh, and it was just like, we were, I was in a, a little like tech closet with probably 10 other people. And, uh, just like everybody kind of staring at each other and like <laughs> one guy's one guy's got a cough <laughs> and it's, oh and it's god like, yeah. we're all just kind of like you know everybody's just sort of looking and then like somebody will get text message and it's like oh this show canceled and this oh, show fuck. canceled and we just watched you know the next two months of work just kind of just fall by the wayside and it's almost and, like oh go ahead i'm sorry well like i had had gigs before that, that like I was up in the air working on a lighting rig and the producer came in and said, Hey, everybody come out to front of house. We're going to have a discussion. And we all went out there and they said, this show's canceled. We're going to load it out right now. It's, you know, everything's done. We're tearing it all out. And it was like, so we, we had been primed for this, but that was the day that it was like everything just kind of, like a house of cards came down. It, yeah. And it, and this is before, well, if I have my timeline, right. Uh, before Congress had been even been able to take any action, there was no stimulus uh, by this yeah. point. There was no unemployment or added unemployment benefits. So you're kind of, if I'm recreating this, right. Or you're kind of staring down, like I've lost, there's going to be no more shows for the foreseeable future. What I do is help put on shows and now what do I do? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was definitely, uh, and I mean, I, I think, I think in the beginning we thought it was going to be a couple months, you know, I, I was thinking, you know, like everybody kind of thought like, this is going to be, uh, a hit to our savings. And then as it kind of went on, it was like, Oh, this is real bad and, yeah. and not, and not getting dealt with. And, uh, you know, we're, we're not doing anything to manage this in any way. Yeah. Uh, so that, so that was, adds God, an, an immense amount of frustration. I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's, uh, so, so like, it's just kind of like, you know, one thing after another, and then we're seeing that like, everything is going to be as bad as we thought, like, like the worst case scenario has happened the last, like, like five times in a row. And we're just like, okay, this is very bad. Uh, and it's probably going to run through the summer now. Right. And then, and then it's like, okay, so what happens? Uh, and like the way my stuff is organized, uh, I'm organized under a business. So technically I laid myself off. Oh, wow. Uh, which is, tricky for unemployment because so you're a maker and a taker <laughs> absolutely don't tell yeah. paul ryan go ahead Sorry. yeah i wow, am we a, got real political here i'm, I'm joe the plumber <laughs> yeah i'm joe you are joe that's good uh, uh so so i i eventually was able to talk to unemployment and they kind of said like well you did everything right like you paid into the system when 
there was no real foreseeable, like no one had seen any reason that you would ever be in a situation like this. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have asthma. So there was a, a medical reason that I, I had to, you know, stay out of large gatherings. And so it was like, there's, there's not a, they, they were like, you've done everything right. And we'll, we'll make a decision. And then like, probably six weeks later, maybe a month later, mm-hmm. uh, I checked my unemployment and there was a, a credit for a whole bunch of money on it. And it was like, okay, well, like that was the first time we could deep, like take a deep breath and like, yeah. like okay, we're going to, we're going to make it through this. Okay. So as, as being somebody who, um, something I think probably too much about, uh, is the meaning that we get from our vocation. Mm-hmm. Um, and having the, just the meaning part taken away, I'm not even talking about obviously the money to put food on the table, et cetera, et cetera, but having that meaning taken away, what did that do to you mentally? Um, that, that certainly was a, that, that, that took me to a kind of a, a place where like, I'm, I'm really good at my job and I, I kind of, jumped in i have been a hobby woodworker for a long time and i kind of was like maybe i'll i'll take some time in woodwork Mm -hmm. and so the biggest thing like i was then woodworking is more of a creative outlet than most of the work that i do okay in in entertainment because most of the work i do in entertainment is for corporations to get up on stage and talk about their corporations so it's it's not you know high art of or or legitimate theater or musical theater or most of it is just corporate stuff where it's kind of soulless. Uh, So, so there's, there's a kind of an empty spot in my career where it's like, you know, I used to do this in a theater where, you know, it, it was making people happy. Now it's, in a convention hall or a ballroom making people bored, <laughs> you know, <laughs> kind of. So now, now, kind now, of let's a, not give theater that much credit. It also makes people bored, but I've, I hear, I'm joking, but I hear what you're saying. Uh, so, so it was like, there, there's kind of a, kind of a void there. And I was like, great, I'll, I'll woodwork and that'll be more creative. But uh, at that point, it went from being like doing something really, really good at to doing something that I'm kind of a novice at. And like, you know, I have to suck at for a while before I I get to the point where I'm very good at it. Mm -hmm. And so that, that was interesting where it's like, you know, having that drop off where it's like, I know exactly what I'm doing here. And then I come over here and it's more creative, but I don't really know what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> I'm was there some excitement in that too, but, or is it just yeah. nerve wracking? There's some excitement, but there's also like, like there's excitement. And then when it, when you succeed, it feels great. And yeah. you're like, that's awesome. And then when you fail, you're like, I am the worst ever. <laughs> and I don't know why I even try. Uh, I have to, I have to, um, 
give you a shout out. I have not not many things, but I, I did buy some stuff from your wordworking stuff, and I was using it today. Nice. Um, very talented stuff. Um, and that's so cool that you could take, you know, something and make a positive creative um, outlet out of it like, with COVID. So that's really awesome, man. And I appreciate it being creative at least for me if if you can for me if i'm creative every day that's at least the day is not totally wasted yeah um so well joe um i want to thank you for being on here man you shared a lot with us well, thank um, you for having me yeah I, it, it it is a, a testament to you um that you were able to share this stuff with us and um a lot of stuff that you shared and um i know that some of that's not easy so thank you so much for for sharing that with us and um you know really really appreciate you uh being on absolutely thanks for unblocking me uh yeah well that's about the enough with the dick pics joe um all right well everybody joe thank you again um can't wait to see you soon and um everybody else uh thank you so much for listening and uh just just remember i guess uh you know i think joe said a lot of really powerful stuff here and um it was a wonderful story and just remember to that you always have a story to tell other people and that that story is going to help somebody and i think that's wonderful so um you know always know that there's room for kindness and grace even with yourself we wish you the best and we'll see you next time on sad times fuck cigarettes fuck cigarettes bye You've been listening to a fourth-hand joint.